Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Amsterdam, Tamarindo, Costa Rica or Krakow, Poland. And if you're a new listener to the show, I want to give you a special warm welcome to the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And of course, if you're a returning listener, happy to have you again as well. In today's episode, we will speak to my new friend Caroline from CostaRicaFire.com, with FIRE being the acronym of Financial Independent Retire Early. We have already had a few guests on the show talking about how they intend to reach FIRE. And this mostly happened through living intentionally and investing in the stock markets via index funds, whether directly through self-directed investment accounts or through tax advantage retirement accounts like the 401k in the US, for example. This time, however, with Caroline, she will tell us how she reached FIRE under exceptional circumstances. She, for one, stumbled upon the FIRE movement in her 40s. She and her husband, Scott, have two daughters, unlike the other guests we've had on the show who were uh, without kids. Their strategy was to focus on real estate instead of retirement accounts. And they did all of this while living in New York, a high cost or even a very high cost of living area. We will discuss Caroline's journey and she will share how she and her husband managed to change their lifestyle completely and reached fire. And we will also discuss how they managed to buy property after property both in the US and abroad, in beautiful Costa Rica. This episode is for you if you have been pondering about reaching fire, but think you're too late or that it is not possible since you live in a high cost of living area yourself. And it is also for you if you're looking at investing in real estate and looking at purchasing multiple rental properties locally and abroad. And just a little side note before uh, moving on with the interview. When I started the podcast, I actually did not expect I would talk so much about the fire movement. This is already the fourth episode on the subject, actually, which is uh, kind of ironic because I do not consider myself as part of the movement, nor am I pursuing fire actively. Uh, I would say that I'm more looking at the FI part, I mean, the financial independence part. This is uh, what interests me. Anyway, that was my little observation of the day. Let's close the parenthesis and let's move on with the interview. Hello, Caroline. How are you doing today? I'm great, Johnny. Thanks for having me on your show. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, so Caroline is from the website Costa Rica Fire. And Carolina reached fire a bit later than most of uh, the previous um, guests on the show. She reached fire in her 40s with her husband, Scott. And we will go through her story to tell you and or to show you how it is possible to reach fire even if you start a bit later than the rest. So... Caroline, can you tell us a little bit how, on how you started to yeah to try to reach fire and why you um yeah when did that discovery happen? Yeah, so I actually didn't hear about fire until I was in my forties. I was always an avid personal finance junkie. I would read a lot of business books and finance books, and my first career was in investment banking and management consulting around business. And so I was always interested in business. But I grew up pretty traditionally to go to school, get good grades, get a good job. And I always felt like I was going to work until I was 60, 65, mm -hmm. maybe retire early would be 
high 50s, you know, I didn't really think about it being an option. And I was born and raised and still live actually in New York City, which is a very, very expensive place to live. Yeah. And so I never thought about, it just didn't occur to me that it was even a thing. And then fast forward and I'm 40 years old and I had uh, gone out on my own. I was consulting um, and I was working in the career space. So I was writing about careers. I'm coaching people. I'm working with corporations around HR issues. Uh, my husband, Scott, has a big IT job. And we're both full throttle. We have two kids at this point working really hard. And I just looked up and I just couldn't imagine doing it for another 20, 25 years, even 15 years. So I was 40 at the time. And I don't know if it was turning 40 or what. Um, I think a lot of it was my business was actually peaking around that time. And I was so busy. And I just thought there has to be more to life than this. We couldn't take a vacation that was longer than a week and change because we could never figure it out with both of our busy jobs. Mm -hmm. And it was just go, go, go. So I I just knew something had to change. And again, I was a a reader to begin with. And I honestly don't remember how I stumbled onto the whole fire issue, but about people who were doing it. And so I just started asking myself different questions. I just started asking myself, you know, how could I do it if I had to do it? And what I realized was missing for us was that we had followed very traditional financial advice, which is max out your 401k, you know, do the index funds. We had everything in mutual funds at that point and her jobs, right? So, so sure, I had a business, but I was a consultant. So it's really a job working for myself. Um, he had a job. We had our 401ks. And that was basically it. And we had at the time a couple of rental properties, which I had bought, you know, I had looked into a few years ago saying, hey, this would be nice to supplement our social security. I hadn't even really thought about them as a possible fire escape for us. And then when I started just thinking about, you know, what was really keeping me from being more aggressive about this or making the leap, it was because I really just couldn't rely on the stock market or at least my ability to manage investments that go up and down. I really just couldn't stomach it. And so I thought, well, if it's the the drawdown issue that's keeping me from it, well, what else can we do? My business seemed like it was up and down. If I didn't sell anything, we didn't earn anything. Um, you know, could Scott keep his job forever? There was so much uncertainty, but real estate was the kind of thing where we'd get checks every single month. So I started thinking about how might we do that and scale that because we were both interested in real estate. It was something that we enjoyed. We didn't mind working on it. As busy as I was with my business, it was something that I didn't mind adding to my plate because I actually enjoyed it. And so for the last Let's see. So we started, I was around like 41, 42, when we started in earnest looking at additional states to buy in. We, we had started in North Carolina. I didn't feel like we could continue there. The prices had really run up. So we were looking for a second geography, which we found in Jacksonville, Florida. 
we then invested in Indianapolis, Indiana, which we have since divested. So we are not there anymore, but that helped us jumpstart us. And then of course, Costa Rica, where we have three rentals. So all in all, we ended up, you know, working full throttle, but then adding the real estate. And now we're at a stage where the real estate balances out our stock investments and my projects, and we can basically live where we want and, and do what we want. So I've been able to really, really downscale my consulting, and Scott has left his job entirely. Mm -hmm. So, so your your fire or your your escape strategy was to invest more in the real estate, or and to uh, accumulate more, um, yeah, more properties. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was the cash flow from the real estate that was really of interest to us. It was a way of just feeling more secure that there would be income coming every single month, um, as opposed to with the stock market, where I felt that a lot of our gains were coming from really capital gains and not, it wasn't like we were invested in dividend stocks that we could reasonably rely on. And so I didn't want to have to keep worrying about selling and, and you know at different times i wanted to have that that monthly cash flow that real estate mm -hmm. because when you started i mean when you stumbled upon the fire movement you say i already had two or three properties so what was the goal with those properties just to have a little side income yeah we we started we bought the first two rentals uh at this point 20 Years, like almost 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Because at the time, we looked at, it was in North Asheville, North Carolina. And Asheville, for anyone who's listening, is a beautiful, beautiful town. Um, it's a very vibrant, creative city, but then it's surrounded by uh, mountains and just the Blue Ridge Mountains, which are just gorgeous. And so I had stumbled on this this beautiful location. And I thought, oh, we could buy a place, rent it out for now, and we could retire there it, at 65. So again, when I bought it, I was still thinking in terms of, we'll be 65, the 30-year mortgage will have been paid off. And then so it was still very much like this traditional uh, kind of strategy. It wasn't at all about real estate replacing our jobs. It was just a supplement to Our portfolio, which at the time was still, you know, 95% the stock market, essentially. <laughs> And did you, in New York, did you own your place or did you rent your place? Because I know it's, uh, the real estate prices are ridiculous over there. <laughs> yeah, they are ridiculous. So that's actually part of our strategy too. We rent it. So we, for a long time, had a great deal that was well below market rate. And so uh, it made a mm -hmm. lot more sense for us to rent um, and then to buy elsewhere, to take that cash and buy elsewhere. We did, however, end up buying in 2015. So when we got serious about fire, we needed to lock down our costs and we weren't ready to leave New York City entirely. My extended family is here. Uh, as I mentioned before, we have two kids and um, our oldest daughter is in her early 20s. She still uses our apartment. Um, and so we wanted to to keep it. Um, but we also wanted to lock down our costs. And the thing about rents is that they can go up whenever the landlord feels like they can go up. Mm -hmm. And New York is a very 
vibrant economy right now. There's very low unemployment here. People are moving here from all over, so costs keep rising. And so in 2015, we ended up buying um, in an outer borough of New York City. So we live in the Bronx right now. Uh, and it's you know it's still accessible to the main part of New York City by mass transit. So we still feel like we're very, very much a part of the city, but it's a quieter place. Um, it's a less expensive place. And because we bought it, uh, you know, we know what our monthly cost is. is and what about the rest of the costs in New York? Because, okay, you managed to buy properties outside. You, you, you bought your apartment, your place in, um, in the Bronx. But what about the, the daily costs? Are, are these a burden in New York or to reach fire? They absolutely are. So mm -hmm. I, I have to say, I mean, it is, so housing is a big part of uh, the, the cost equation. Even your transportation costs are really high. If you're silly enough to have a car, you don't need a car. Where we live, it's great to have a car. But if you're in the heart of the city, you don't need a car. And in fact, it's very, very expensive to have one. Um, food going out is really expensive here. Um, ways around it. And the other thing that we're able to do, and I think this is where being in your 40s really helps you. So this is, you know, I've lived in the city now my whole life for four decades. And so I know where really good but inexpensive restaurants are. I know when the cultural sites or the museums, the really in places that can be very expensive when they have free days or discounted days. Um, so there are a lot of things that you can do in New York City for free or for cheap that, I mean, you have to know the city. But luckily, you know, we've been here long enough that we do. So there's a way to reach fire, even if you're in a high cost of living city. Absolutely. Okay, that's interesting. And then, so your strategy is then to buy all those properties. But then I'm wondering about your income. You don't need to be specific if if you don't want to, but... How is your income compared to your cost of living? So do you do you spend, uh, do you need 80%, 90%? How much can you save per, per month then? Yeah, so the, the thing that's nice about New York City, so I, I had been talking more about the savings angle, but now that we're talking the income angle, the other thing about being in a high cost of living city like New York that's helpful on the income side is that... Um, you know, as a consultant where I can earn as much or as little as I, I want to sell, uh, this is a great place to be because there's a very vibrant market here. So we, um, so let me see, how do I, I go about this, break this down with our fire? I mean, right now we are not in the accumulation stage anymore. We're at the stage where I feel like we have hit a reasonable number for ourselves. We spend in the low six figures so just over like a hundred thousand if mm -hmm. i could earn that and or draw that down that would be that would cover all of our expenses the nice thing and the reason why i feel like we've hit fire now is because we don't need to earn it if we don't want to i do still work on some of my clients that i i love and that honestly i would do for free although don't tell them that but <laughs> You know, I work on projects that I'm really, really interested in, and I've been able to say no to the rest, which mm -hmm. I think is the absolute definition of why we all do this in the first place. Um, so you absolutely can can get by on that in New York. What we're doing, in addition, however, 
is that we're actually spending the bulk of our time outside. We love the beach. So we are, as of next year, going to make our primary residence in Florida, um, which will cut the day-to-day cost of living. It will make it easier for us to spend more money on travel, which is something that we want to do. Um, Again, we're keeping our apartment in New York. So if we have to crash here, we can. That makes it easy. And then, of course, we have our places in Costa Rica, and we plan to spend you know, at least two, if not three months out there as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay, I've had already a few shows with the uh, fire people. Mm-hmm. And um, they always mention this this moment when they know they are able to leave the workforce or to, to be fire. And that is when they reach 25 times their um, yearly uh, expenses in savings. Is is that the same for you, or do you have, are you a bit more conservative on that one, or how do you? When did you know that I am fired today? Yeah, so I don't go by that twenty five times. I get a little nervous about that, just because <laughs> I think to me, I, and that, that's just for me. That's not for anybody else. I mean, for me, I don't like thinking about a fixed pool of money that I have to then draw down because I think that would freak me out. Mm-hmm. If I just had this 25 times, this magic number. And in fact, though, that was the first kind of calculation that I did to consider whether or not I could retire. This is why I never thought I could retire because it was always such a big number. And I was like, oh, I'm never going to hit that number. But it was when we really um, took that apart and said, okay, we don't need to hit just one number. It's about being able to reasonably rely on cash flow year over year. So, you know, roughly $100,000 year over year without feeling like we have to draw down this fixed pile of money because I would never do that. Um, But also without having to feel like we have to work 24-7 to do that. Uh, Keep in mind that the $100,000 that I'm talking about as a kind of target expense level for us, that's now. That's our life now. We have two kids that are, one is grown and the other one is in college as we speak. And so when I was, you know, 25 or even 35, uh, we spent a lot more money than that because we had daycare, we had all sorts of things. We were still putting away for college and for some Mm -hmm. other expenses. And so, you know, part of hitting fire when we're older is because we've, we've passed some of those expenses by right? We've already accounted for them. So that's the way that we can do it. So instead of thinking about 25 times, for me, I was thinking about cash flow. And I was also thinking about retiring in stages, so hitting fire in stages. So there was New York City fire, which is, you know, kind of, we have the exact apartment that we want, and we can still travel all over the world, and we can still live there, you know, for the rest of the time. I was a little bit nervous about doing that. I would not have been willing to pull the trigger on everything thinking about New York City level expenses. So I thought, okay, what if we move to another part of the the country? So that's where Florida comes in. So if we split our time, that gets us to the number faster. And then if we incorporate something like Costa Rica, I knew that we could, I could not work at all and we could absolutely live in Costa Rica. And so just knowing that, gave us enough courage to pull the trigger at Scott left his job. And then we, you know, I really down, 
downscaled my consulting business and we travel a lot more now. And why Costa Rica? I mean, do you have a, I mean, have you been traveling there several times or, you know, why Costa Rica and not Ecuador, for example, or I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we picked Costa Rica. Uh, we actually only traveled there when we started considering it for real estate. So it was only, our first trip there was in 2017, which is the same year that we bought our first property there. So um, we picked Costa Rica because we felt like it would be a good investment. Uh, their real estate is pegged to the dollar. They have high literacy rates, so over 90% literacy. They've got a good healthcare system. They have no military. They have all this biodiversity. It was kind of like if you had to build a country from scratch, you'd probably build something like Costa Rica. And I felt <laughs> like it would be even more desirable now. Uh, you know, I come from the United States. There's a lot of this animosity around the country right now. It's a very difficult period of time for the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, on both sides of the political aisle. I mean, I don't even think I'm making a political statement saying that. It's just a very volatile economy and it's just rough politically. And so we had already been looking at We need to diversify outside of the U.S. and not just international mutual funds, which we already have. But we wanted to look at if we had to pick up and move somewhere, uh, where would we do it and how could we do it? And Costa Rica was just so desirable for all those reasons that I said. Okay. And Caroline, I have a question because, okay, you, I understand the strategy, accumulating properties, etc., but... How do you do that? Because, okay, for example, if I have a saved for down payment and I go to the bank, I get a, a mortgage and I buy a property and I rent it out, I get some cash flow and hopefully it pays extra, it pays more than my mortgage. So I get some income and then, but then all my down payment is gone. So how do I go about uh, buying a second one, a third one, etc.? Yeah. So, We used a few strategies to scale up our real estate purchases. So remember, I talked about buying a couple of rentals, you know, to get us started in Asheville, North Carolina. So we got the down payment for those rentals uh, from a home equity line that was against a home that we had purchased to use on the weekends. So we had, I, I mentioned to you that we were renting Um, in New York City, it made sense to rent, but we did buy a place that was a little bit more suburban where we could have more space that we used on a weekend that we thought we might move to. When that rose in value, we took out a home equity line. We used that home equity line as the down payment for the next rentals that we bought. Eventually, we used um, a cash out refinance against those rentals to actually buy our first place in Costa Rica. So basically, our houses had babies, is how I describe that. So either through a HELOC or a cash out refi. The other thing that we did was we moved some of our retirement assets into a self-directed account, in our case, a solo 401k. We used that also to purchase some real estate. So it's a combination of, yeah, you have to get started somewhere. So you have to save up for that down payment for at least one But then uh, you can use the appreciation on that one. If you buy right, you will have some equity in there. You can cash out, refinance that, or get a HELOC against that. 
uh, to buy, you know, the next ones. You can also use a self-directed uh, retirement account. I'm talking U.S. I don't know like what it would be for other countries if you could do that, but we were able to do that here. Um, the rules allow it, and that also was very helpful. Mm -hmm. Well, the the HELOC part, um, if I understand correctly, let's say to make num to put numbers on it to make it easier for the listeners. I think I understand, but I'm, I just want to reconfirm with you. Yeah, I can I can give you an exact example. So we, let's say for ease of math, like you buy a property and it's two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you put twenty mm percent -hmm. down. So you have to save up the first fifty thousand dollars. Yep, I get it. Really, really tough, right? So you. Save up the $50,000, you buy this $250,000 property, you rent it out, and ideally your rent covers all of your expenses and a little bit extra, right? But you still are out the $50,000 because you got to save and put that in there. Now, if the property is still only worth $250,000, you can't take any money out of it because you need to keep that equity in there. But the idea is that you buy something that you um, you either improve so that it appreciates. Mm -hmm. My husband and I didn't do that because we're not handy people, but I do know a lot of people who will force forcibly improve a property. So they'll add on to it or they'll refurbish it in some way that they then get it reappraised and all of a sudden it's worth $350,000. In our case, the little weekend home that we bought that was near New York City, it had appreciated um, over six figures. So we were able to pull out easily enough money for a, a down payment for Asheville, North Carolina. And we had bought those properties, as I mentioned, about 15 years ago. So it was 2006 and 2007. So by the time I looked at them again in 2017, when we were ready to buy our first property um, in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. I was able to refinance both of those, take out enough money to pay for that condo in Costa Rica in cash. Wow. Okay. No, but that's, that's excellent. And actually I did something similar when I was uh, living in Norway. I lived in Norway um, up to last year. So, and um, I had an apartment which rose in value. And at some point I took out, uh, I mean, kind of a, a HELOC actually. I took a bigger loan and I purchased uh, my uh, my parking spots with with the extra money, and then which I rented them out. Yeah, see, that's great. So it's 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 again, it's like your properties end up having babies and making other properties in some way, shape, or form. So this strategy only works right if you buy well to begin with, right? If you buy something and don't overextend yourself, mm -hmm. and if you buy something where the rent that you can get will actually cover your costs because if they don't cover your costs and you find yourself underwater every month, that can easily add up and wipe you out, right? So you have to buy well uh, and you have to either force the appreciation or wait for the appreciation or, you know, that type of thing. Um, and so it's not just hey, if you buy a property, it's guaranteed that a few years later, you'll be able to buy another one. And you have to buy smart to begin with. Yeah, and it, yeah, it takes a lot of time and research and maybe visit a few times the area, etc. I mean, you 
just need to do your own research. And Caroline, um, buying in Costa Rica, buying in a foreign land, how does that go? Well, you know, we used a lot of the same principles that we used here when we bought. So in terms of exactly what you said, like really doing your research, figuring out what kind of location um, you're interested in. You know, so first, of course, picking Costa Rica. And I mentioned why we did that. And then we looked at the different regions in, in Costa Rica because there are many different areas. We love the beach. There were certain things that we prioritized. For us, it was we wanted proximity to the beach that was still affordable. We also wanted something that was more developed. So we actually picked a part of the town that's already pretty heavily trafficked. So yes, we are going to pay more than some of the underdeveloped parts of town, but it just wasn't, again, it was like this risk reward type of equation. So I just wanted to know that there was already traffic there, that there would be renters there, et cetera, et cetera. So we looked at the neighborhood level and then we had to look at the, you know, condo by condo or house by house level. And so it was about getting in touch with people, seeing who we wanted to work with, getting referrals, getting recommendations. Um, so in that way, it's very, very similar to just buying close to home. You know, you're still going to talk to people and find people that you trust and you can't be there all the time. I and mean, with any of our properties, we have, with all of them, we have managers because we don't physically live in the areas. And so we have to rely on other people. And that's a big part of the equation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what about the financing? I mean, do you have a loan, a bank loan in the Costa Rica? Is it done from US or did you buy cash? Yeah. So now there's so much buying in Costa Rica. I just saw something that there is a financing firm that's starting to offer for US only. They're starting to finance. There are obviously there's Costa Rica banks, but you have to be Costa Rican and the uh, interest rate is too high that we used to cash out refi um, of our North Carolina properties to buy in Costa Rica. And that was because there wasn't finance. There wasn't traditional financing. So we either would have to pay cash mm -hmm. or borrow against something else. So for the three properties that we were able to buy, one, we borrowed against something else. That's the cash out refi. Um, and then the other two, we paid cash by Pulling that out of our self-directed retirement. Okay, and I, I, I saw on your blog that you were also even considering Switzerland. So, are there other countries that you were that you're looking into to expand uh, your, let's say, real estate empire? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. You read that blog where I was answering a question from someone about how to pick a geography, and it is we are looking potentially at another geography. Um, so the same. Things that drew me to want to buy in Costa Rica in the first place, things like international diversification, if we had to pick up and move. Um, you know, I just like having that flexibility. I like to have other economies that I'm reliant on and other currencies and things like that. So, yeah, we are thinking of potentially. We also like to travel. And so my dream has always been that we have uh, places that we can Stay in and every continent that we like to spend extended time in. So that would be Europe and Asia is what's missing for us. So we already have a place in Central America, and then we could have a place in Asia and have a place in Europe. Now, does that mean that we're going to have to buy these places? No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But we are still 
thinking about it because it takes research, right? And so it's going to take a long time to find the right place. So I'm I'm always reading about countries and possibilities. And yeah, of course, I'm thinking about Switzerland because the Swiss franc and the, the Swiss economy and politics in Switzerland. I mean, there's such great, great reasons to own in Switzerland. It's incredibly expensive. It doesn't make sense for others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you say... Uh... I live in New York, it's expensive. And then you, you look at Switzerland. I don't know the, the comparison. I guess you use websites such as uh, Numbeo or something or? Uh... Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, I, uh, one resource that I find super, super helpful is international living. That's what actually got me going, honestly, about thinking about living abroad. You know, so they cover a lot of different countries. They actually don't cover Switzerland, but they, they do a lot of these cost of living comparisons with different countries. For me, because we would never live abroad for that long a period of time, I'm less looking at the day-to-day kind of cost of living calculator and looking more at how much would it cost to buy and could I just rent there or, you know, like is there really a return on investment for buying? Okay, very good. And and then now, so you said you're in your fire, you reached fire, so you're still Uh, work, you choose your clients, you you can say no, you choose your time. And with your extra time, are you what are you doing? Just researching properties or what, what are you doing? Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I started blogging about FIRE because I do, I've always been a personal finance junkie. I love to talk about it, to read about it. So I started writing about it. My husband was always in IT, but he was in kind of the hardware networking project management kind of side of, of IT. And now he's looking at things like e-commerce and digital marketing, and he's just kind of pursuing his interests there. He also wants to run a marathon in each state of the 50 United States. So we are on that project and I tag along to get vacation time when I, when I do it, we like to travel. So we're doing more traveling mm -hmm. just things that, you know, that we, We had put off when we were raising two kids and working, you know, busy jobs. And you always say that you're going to do things later. Well, now's later. So we're just taking things off our list. That's excellent. And um, just one last thing. I mean, what got you? I mean, do you have some guides, some inspiration, some blogs you follow or I don't know, books that you that uh, yeah, that you that inspire you? So specifically around FIRE, one of the most helpful tools, so I mentioned already International Living, which I think mm -hmm. is a great publication just to think differently about how you might retire because they cover the world. And at least in the U.S., see, I don't find this with Europeans. Europeans are already very, they travel all the time anyway. So they're really good about thinking outside of their home country. But Americans, not as much, I have to say. So Um, I think that's a great resource. Um, but another tactical resource that I find so helpful um, for FIRE in particular is something called the Ultimate Retirement Calculator by Financial Mentor. Financial Mentor is another uh, personal finance site. I love his writing and I love the way he covers topics. Um, but in addition, he has this calculator, which unlike other retirement calculators, allows you to model things like cash flow from real estate, um, consulting income, one-time sales and purchases. If they, you know, So it's a very flexible retirement calculator. 
And I think playing around that just helps someone think more broadly about what it means to fund a retirement. Because I know for myself, I mean, it wasn't until I was in my 40s where I was like, what? We could do something else than 401k and mm-hmm. retirement. <laughs> you know, I mean, like you just, you get so in the weeds. You don't even look up and say like, that doesn't make any sense. You can do other things. So that calculator is super helpful. Mm-hmm. And how did your family or friends react when you when you started to plan for uh, to reach fire? think they really know what we're doing honestly (laughs) they don't understand (laughs) yeah you know for them I mean they kind of see us out and about and so you know my mom will say something like I don't even know where you are these days you know in terms of just geographically you know like are you here are you in New York where are you are you in Costa Rica so you know I think they get that we have created this life where we can pick up and go I think they know that we work on different projects, because I'm always talking about something that I'm doing, right? So they they do see us still, I think, as as working in the sense that we're always running around doing something. So, you know, we don't really discuss it. I also think, too, that, you know, not everyone can be uh, in the place where we are. And so I don't want to necessarily make people feel bad about their choices, or if they have to work a few more years or many more years or whatever. So we kind of talk about our lives less about achieving fire and more just about, hey, we're doing this, that, or the other. Thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Well, Caroline, I think that was quite insightful and uh, and it's a different fire style than uh, some other guests. So it's always good to hear uh, different stories and uh, to see, yeah, you can reach it. Okay, you had a good base. Huh? Let's let's be honest. You had already some rental properties when you started to really uh, think about it. But still, it means that people can still change their lifestyle in their forties. Yeah, absolutely. You can do it. Yeah, that's great. And uh, of course, we haven't talked much about real estate in on the show yet. So this is a already a, a first glimpse of it and how um, and how people can buy baby properties or <laughs> buy one property and use a HELOC or, uh, you know, um, yeah, home equity. Uh, what is it? Home home equity line of credit. Li- line of credit. I mean, in, in Europe, there are similar mechanisms, actually. So I used it. So it's possible. It's not only U.S. So there, there are possibilities to, to uh, multiply your properties. So it exists here as well. So that, that's great. So thank you for this. And before we um, we head off, Caroline, I always ask my guests three quick fire questions. Okay. So the number one is, what has been your best investment so far? So I would say the the best literal investment has been that weekend house that I talked about, which then gave us a down payment mm-hmm. for the Carolina, which then gave us the ability to buy in Costa Rica. I feel like it just got us started. And even though we didn't know where we'd end up, it got us started. And sometimes people just spend too much time thinking about it. But, you know, the philosophical answer to my best investment question is I have realized now that I'm 48 and looking back on everything that we've done in terms of real estate, in terms of building the business, just even in terms of financial advice that I've gotten, the best investment I've made is when I have developed relationships and have been out and about and networking with people. 
because that's how we found our teams in all of the geographies where we've invested. That's how we knew about Asheville, North Carolina and Jacksonville, Florida, which have paid off really well for us. We knew about Costa Rica. It was through other people. And so it's not just one big investment. It's, you know, it's like five dollars of coffee with someone here or there. But over time, it, it adds up to something really valuable. Yeah, but you get the not only the, the connections, but you get knowledge and it, it expands, it compounds actually. Yeah? yeah, absolutely. Okay, excellent. A second quick fire question What is the best book you would recommend to anyone? So I read so much, and I was thinking about this because I think a lot of people mention the same books over and over again. So I'm actually going to mention something from 2019. It's a new book. Oh, wow. And it's called Stories That by Kendra Hall. And the reason why I mention it, one is because it's it's a great book to read. It's actually about the power of storytelling. And it's it's about the stories um, that you tell to other people to perhaps sell them on your, your vision, to sell them on hiring you, um, to sell them on promoting you. But when I was reading it, I was so moved by so many of the story examples that she said. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's also about the stories that we tell ourselves. And I just remember the, the turning point for me with fire was that I just realized, I woke up one day and I realized, oh, it's a different way to do things. And I just kept telling myself that story, that I didn't have to be locked into any one particular life and that we could make change when we wanted to. And so I think this issue of stories is so important. So I'm picking Stories That Stick by Kendra Hall. Okay, very good. I'll look it up and I'll... Uh... I'll link it up in the show notes anyway. So thank you for the tip. And then the third and the last question, what is the best investment or the best purchase for under $100? Well, I'm going to go back to the whole networking thing. If if I had $100 to spend right now, I would be thinking about who are 10 people that I could grab coffee with and buy them a coffee and just reconnect with them if it's an existing relationship, build in that relationship or meet new people. I like that answer, and uh, it's one I haven't heard yet uh, here on the show. So that's uh, that's excellent. Uh, so Caroline, thank you very much for your your uh, for sharing your stories and your tips. And if people want to know more about you, more about your adventures in Costa Rica or potential new uh, real estate uh, purchases, where can they find more information about you? Well, the best way is at Costa Rica Fire, which is where I blog about all of these issues mm-hmm. and where I have a free report around making fire possible, where I talk about the four strategies that we used. Because people usually think it's it's about extreme frugality, which is definitely a strategy, but that's not the only one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and any social media or uh, Twitter or... Yeah, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Again, it's our handle is just Costa Rica Fire. And so that would be the best place to connect. Okay, very good. So Caroline, so thank you again uh, once more very much for your sharing your, your stories with us. And uh, yeah, we'll speak next time. Terrific. Thanks, Johnny. It was definitely interesting to hear Caroline's story on the show and uh, how she reached fire in her 40s and took on a actually a different approach than uh, the previous guest we had on the show. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as well and that you learned something from it. I certainly did, and here are my key takeaways. And I think the biggest, or the most obvious key takeaway from this episode, is that there are several ways to reach fire. There's no one single 
path to reach financial independence. And for Caroline, that meant focusing more on real estate investing by buying more properties and secure a steady, stable income instead of relying on the market movements that come with the investing in the stock markets, which they were not necessarily comfortable with. Another interesting point is that if you live in a high cost of living city, such as New York, or uh, I don't know, San Francisco or Paris, for example, there are actually possibilities to invest in more affordable housing in the suburbs of the city, or maybe in a cheaper area a bit further away. And that property could turn out to be uh, the investment that will appreciate significantly in value. Well, you never know, of course, there's no guarantees here. You'll have to conduct your research, run the numbers, etc. But who knows, maybe there are some uh, golden opportunities nearby. Who knows, who knows? And the next point is that if you actually find such a property that tries significantly in value, well, then it's a perfect timing to um, borrow against it through a HELOC or through this cash out refi mechanism. And for us outside of the US, well, we'll need to see in our respective markets what's possible. If there's a way to um, tap into that uh, appreciation, use that equity in a way or another. So yeah, let me know if that's possible in your country. I would be uh, keen to hear about it. Regarding researching properties abroad, actually, what uh, Caroline said is that the same rule applies as when you uh, look for properties in your home country. You will need to do your research on the neighborhood, look for practical aspects, check out the weather, build a local network of people that you can uh, yeah, get information from, talk to local real estate agencies, visit many places to get a feel, of course, of the pricing, of the quality, of whatever. You will need to run the numbers if it makes sense uh, from a cash flow perspective, etc. And in addition to all that, once you found the property, you will need some local people to help you manage that property since you cannot be there all the time yourself. And the last key takeaway of today's episode is regarding the financing of the property abroad. Caroline bought her property in Costa Rica in cash, which was then easy, of course. But if you need to rely on a mortgage, on a financing from a bank, this is where it gets tricky because your bank in your home country might not issue a loan for a property abroad and the bank abroad might be restricted by not issuing loans to foreigners. Or they will ask maybe outrageous interest rates or ask for ridiculous securities. It's not impossible, it's just tricky. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me if you have any questions or feedback. Send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.